Before we get started, a quick note. This episode, it talks about challenging situations that teachers face and includes an anecdote that may not be appropriate for young listeners. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young, the managing editor here at Ed Surge. We all make mistakes. But for educators, mistakes can be particularly hard to deal with. For one thing, they can have big consequences. After all, a teacher's role is to help shape young minds. And living with mistakes that are made in the classroom can feel lonely, since there is a culture in education that prizes showing teachers at their best and glossing over the inevitable setbacks. Today, we're going to meet one educator who has set out to change that. He's John Harper, the assistant principal at Chop Tank Elementary School. That's a public school in Cambridge, Maryland. And John is the host of a podcast called My Bad, where he brings on one teacher each episode and asks them to share a big mistake they've made in the classroom and to talk through what they've learned from it. John Harper has been doing this for a couple of years, and he has put out more than 100 episodes. The format's short. He calls it bite size, with each episode lasting about 10 minutes. But these podcast episodes, they're often emotional, and they tackle the human struggles of teaching, including dealing with insecurities, work-life balance, and these days, the isolation and burnout made worse by the pandemic. He even turned some highlights of the podcast into a short book called My Bad, 24 Educators Who Messed Up, Fessed Up, and Grew. I started out by asking him, How did he even think to start this project of asking teachers to share their biggest mistakes? That's a good question. It happened probably about six or seven years ago. I was watching, I was watching my daughter play a soccer game or practice and I'm out there watching her practice and it was her first year playing and she was actually the only girl out there on the team and they're practicing and they're scrimmaging and the ball's going back and forth and back and forth. And I look over and all of a sudden, I see her score a goal for the wrong team. And I was mortified. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so worried as a dad. You can imagine if a seven or eight-year-old girl who was the only girl out there, had never played before, I'm thinking, okay, is she going to be, she going to start crying? Is she going to not want to come back? How is she going to handle it? I had no idea. So she, she scored a goal, but not for her team. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? And you know, I, I had been an educator for 15 years at this point, 15, 20 years. So I should have known, you know, I've had these situations all the time, but it's your own daughter, your baby girl. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do? And the next water break, you know, she's walking towards me and I'm, I'm nervous. I'm sweating bullets thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Do I have time to run and hide in the bathroom? Probably not. No. So I need to be there. And as she walks up to me, she looks at me and she says, Daddy, I too. <laughs> I thought, what? I thought, What? She said, Daddy, I too scored a goal for the other team. And then it hit me that I had sh- shared with her how when I was in high school, I scored a goal for the wrong team in sudden death overtime that lost our team the game. It's probably the worst sports moment of my career. But I had shared it with her. And that stuck with me because it was so powerful, the fact that you know she knew that she wasn't alone in making a big mistake. Now, hers was only in a scrimmage. Mine was in a high school game in front of a lot of people, but still the fact that she remembered it, she didn't feel as bad about her mistake, that just, that just hit me hard. And, you know, I didn't start the podcast right after that, but probably, I don't know if it was five or six months after that, I thought, you know what, what if we have people come on and share, you know, an educator come on and share one big mistake they made during their career. 
the equivalent of the goal in the wrong side. That's right. Just like that. And what I learned is that we're, de- we're definitely not alone. And yet we think it because what we see on social media, you see everything is either Pinterest or Facebook or Twitter. And a lot of times you see, you know, the perfect classroom or you hear about the perfect quote or the perfect moment. And teachers, teachers are really active on social media, sharing highlight reels, so to speak, of what they're doing, right? That's exactly it. That's how I describe it. It's the, high, the highlight reel. And, you know, a lot of people would come up to me afterwards and they say, oh, my God, it's so good you're doing this podcast because it's good to learn from our mistakes. It's good that we all can learn from our mistakes. And I said, yeah, that is. But I said, that's not the main reason. That's not the main takeaway I want people to have. I want people to listen to this podcast and realize that they're not alone when they make big screw ups. And I mean, you know, some people came on and, you know, shared really big things, things that were embarrassing. I mean, sometimes I've only recorded... I stopped for a while. I've recorded about three or four in the last year. But for about three years, I was doing it every week. But, you know, when I have people come on, I say, I want you to share something that you've probably kept hidden, something that's painful. I don't mean a deep, dark secret, but something that you're kind of embarrassed about. That It's a professional moment, right? Yeah, yeah. A professional moment. When people hear it, they're going to realize, okay, I'm not alone. Why do you think teachers have this reflex, if you will, to be so positive, right? to be so upbeat in their, in what they often share about their teaching practice? I think it comes down to psychological safety. I think that's a big thing. I know I, I read a lot about that with uh, Amy Edmondson just recently wrote a book on that, on psychological safety. And I think it's not present in a lot of organizations, a lot of teams, a lot of companies. And so we're, we're hesitant to share our weaknesses because, you know, sometimes rightly or wrongly, we're, we're judged by that. In the teaching profession, a lot of times folks are judged by mistakes. You know, when you go in, you do an observation. A lot of times someone's looking for, okay, where did someone mess up? Where did they make a mistake? Or if you do make a mistake, sometimes you're, you know, you're taken down for it, as opposed to in, in some environments, a lot of environments, people embrace them. They say, you know what, that's all right. Take that chance. Go for it. Maybe it didn't work. But I think teaching is a, is a scary profession in that you're kind of, you're, you're worried about someone's always evaluating you. And especially last year with uh, Zoom. I mean, you have parents, grandparents, guardians that were watching your every single move. There, yeah, because cla- with class online during the pandemic, it is basically you're under a, a scrutiny in a new way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely saw that too. So... There's a, in other words, there's a, a real feeling that we need to, that people need to bolster the, that, you know, the authority of the teacher, the, the teacher's kind of infallibility almost that. Yes. And I mean, the thing is, it's, it's almost paradoxical. It's like you think when you, when you admit a mistake, okay, people are going to see you as being weaker and it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. One of my guests, one of my very first guests name was Maggie Bellotto. And I'll never forget her quote. He said, you know, once the words leave your mouth, in other words, the admitting of the mistake, they no longer have power over you. And it's true. I mean, you still try to correct the mistake. You still try to get better. But once you're able to just verbalize it, they no longer weigh you down. But so often in education, so often teachers, you know, a lot of times feel like they have to keep these things hidden. And rightly so, because unfortunately, they're, they're judged for that. It's really um, kind of a cultural you know, issue you're, you're picking up on, and it sounds like trying to kind of offer a corrective through your interviews. Um, 
but we are living in that world. Have you have you had folks um, worry that coming on your podcast will be detrimental to their career in a way? Yes, I'll be honest. I had a, I had a recent interview with a teacher who was very brave, and she came on, and this is on the podcast, so it's not a secret, but she came on the podcast and talked about her when she first started teaching. Her way of coping with all the stress and anxiety was through alcohol. And it was really powerful. I mean, I, I applauded her so much for this. I mean, it was, it was to be able to have the strength and the courage. I just, I don't use courage lightly, but to have the courage to come on and put that out there and know that, you know, tens of thousands of people are going to hear this was powerful. But I think she knew that, you know, she wanted people to know that they're not alone. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm certain she had to be a little bit worried for other people hearing this. But I mean, you know, she, you know, she talked about how she had been sober for a long time. And, right. As she's gotten through this and come out the other side. Yeah, And I think for someone else to hear that, who might be in the middle of that, I mean, I can't imagine how powerful that is. Because, you know, I'm sure people go home and they think, you know what, this is a miserable day. Let me have a couple drinks, this, that, or the other. And then their self-esteem goes down. But then you hear that episode and you realize, wait a minute, okay, I can get out of this. There is some power. There is some light at the end of the tunnel for that, for them. And so I think, you know, sometimes people might worry about that. But the key, what, what I've learned is that you have to be vulnerable first. And I, I learned this through practice. I learned this also through, through research reading uh, Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code. I don't know if you know that book, but it's an amazing book. And I used to think that trust came before vulnerability. That you needed to get to trust before you would share. Right. But it's actually just the opposite. Vulnerability comes before trust. And so, and I, I never knew that, but after reading that, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this makes sense. And so... What I did, especially in the very beginning of the show, the first 5, 10, 15 episodes, is I would come on and I, I would share something that I did that was embarrassing and a, and a big mistake. And it would kind of loosen the guests up a little bit and let them realize, okay, this is a safe place. You know, I, I can share something because he's sharing. And it's the same way, I think, you know, with, with staff members. It's the same thing in your classroom. It's the same thing in your, your, your organization, your building, wherever. If you're around people who you know it's psychologically safe to share and be vulnerable and share a weakness. You can kind of let, let your armor down. And you can, you can create amazing things. I mean, imagine that, not having to worry about sharing a mistake, as opposed to always having to keep your guard up and think, you know what, I can't share this, or I can't admit I don't know this. I mean, it's a two totally different worlds. You know, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned, um, you know, respect of peers and all of that. But it seems like there's also an impact on the relationship with students when when teachers and educators kind of are more vulnerable. Is that what you're finding from the stories you're hearing? I am, absolutely. I mean, teachers share, you know, that once they're willing to be vulnerable with kids, I mean, I've noticed this myself. It's been a while since I've been in the classroom, but, you know, I'll be honest. I, I take medication for anxiety, and I have shared this with students and parents before. And I've noticed myself that once... I talk about, you know, medicine and I don't go into deep details with them, but sometimes if a conversation comes up, once I share that with them and I'm vulnerable with them, they let their guard down a little bit. And the parent might let their guard down a little bit if it's if the student's not in the room. That, you know, once you're willing to open up and share with them, kids will kids will reciprocate. Because I mean if we're being honest, for so long teachers, you know, we ask kids to come in at circle time or at, you know, class meetings, depending on whatever age, pre-K to 12, and we ask them to share. And yet oftentimes, we don't share. And there's, you know, that, 
and, and, and kids will share much more quickly than adults will. And, you know, the, the more we can share, especially in this day and age of all the anxieties and stress and depression and things that are going on, and heaven forbid, you know, suicide thoughts, if you're in a classroom where someone feels safe sharing, and they maybe, maybe just pull you aside one-on-one or after class or whatever, I mean, that is, that is so powerful. That's, you can't put a price tag on that. But it takes building. It takes being, I call it stepping first. You have to be able to step first. In other words, you have to share first. You have to be the first one to share. And then if that person receives it as genuine, then it means all the difference in the world. Now, there, there are, sometimes you see on social media, people that it's, it's fake humility. In other words, someone that just come out there and just blather anything out. And that's, that's not, there's a difference between fake humility and really being vulnerable. I want to play at least one example for uh, our listeners who may not have heard your podcast. What's a, what is one of the ones that really really strikes you, maybe one we haven't talked about yet, you know, one that really kind of sits with you after doing, you know, more than a hundred. One from, uh, one of my very first ones from Maggie Bellotto. I, I mentioned her quote earlier, but when she first started teaching, she wasn't, I mean, she fully admitted she wasn't as sympathetic to the needs of her students. She wasn't fully aware of the needs of her students. And she had this, this student that would come to school, this young girl, I think she was teaching fifth or sixth grade, and she wasn't keeping herself up very well. And, you know, Maggie felt this was just laziness on this kid's part. And, you know, one day she looked over, and the girl, you know, she was a mess, and she had bugs jumping off of her hair. It was lice. I think it was lice. But there was something about that day that either I was frustrated or I must have been because I reacted rather harshly. And she took her out in the hallway, basically, and she said, you know what? I, I can't remember the girl's name. I think she, I mean, she didn't say the person's name. She said, you know what? You've got to take better care of yourself. This hygiene is important. And I noticed that her eyes started to fill up with tears. And the last thing I said that must have struck a chord with her was, do you not take showers at home? How often do you shower? And that really set this little girl off because she said to me, as a matter of fact, Ms. Bolado, I don't take showers. Because every time that I do, or that I go into the bathroom, my stepfather tries to take advantage of me. And um, it still hurts me today. Because school is supposed to be a place where kids feel safe. And that day, instead of helping this child, I was just on it. I mean, I was just not having you know, her silence, and I, I didn't respect her silence. And it was a moment that hit me. I still get chills talking about it, because she, obviously Maggie felt awful about that. She had no idea. She wished she hadn't pushed the student on this. And it's one of those things, it's kind of the cliche that, you know, you have no idea what someone's going through. And this girl was having to having to deal with that. And the fact that Maggie was able to come on and, sh- and share that story was was super powerful. I mean, it hit me because I think that it was at the same time that my daughter was in fifth or sixth grade. And it's hard to listen to it and not get emotional because, I mean, you know, Maggie was emotional telling it. I can't imagine how she would have been in that moment. And it just shows you so much, especially with everything we're going through nowadays. We don't know what someone's battling. And, you know, sometimes before speaking up, we need to just take a moment and pause and maybe ask or find more out, but find out more. Yeah, I, it's a really interesting. You know, it's, it, obviously these are these are big 
big things that that come out in your in your podcast and it's it's really powerful um there are also practical advice in there too i i know that you know i, I totally hear you and that you know the the sort of the biggest win maybe on this changing the culture but there are you know through lesson you know through hearing people's you know how they hit a chat hit a snag that was a bad day in the classroom and then overcame it can also be a really instructive thing is there an example that you remember from one of your episodes uh, that that kind of fit, fits in that category yes i can think of one i was interviewing uh john spencer and this was years ago when he first started teaching, and he talked about how he was in the middle of a lesson, and all of a sudden, something just came flying past his head and hit the wall. I think it was a, I don't know if it was a glass, it was something, and just shattered. And I think he said he just, you know, I'm paraphrasing because it's been a while since I've heard it, but he, he lost it. And he, he blamed the wrong student. And later on, you know, the, the student who did it came, came to him in the hallway and said, you know, I'm really sorry about that. Mr. Spencer, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to hit you. I was trying to throw it in the trash can or something like that. And, you know, John had felt awful because he had already reamed out this student. And I think it's once again the example of just before knowing all the facts, it's so, it's so easy to judge. And, you know, that was, that was one of the main themes. So a lot of people came on and talked about how before you know everything, be careful judging. Because there, there, there's always one more piece to the story. There's always one more, one more thing. Yeah, I feel like I, I, that really resonates with me because we here at EdSurge as journalists, we you know are trying to tell the full picture of what's happening with the innovations we write about or whatever we're covering. And you know, there's often this sense of like people putting out very slick press releases and everything has you know everything glossy and perfect and that's nobody's experience that I know, especially in teaching and education. So once you see these mistakes, once you see these things, you can really, you know, by asking people to share these good and bad, the whole picture, it really can, it really can help. I've got an example of that. Actually, one of my very earlier guests was uh, Jessica Leahy, who wrote The Gift of Failure, a very popular book, immensely popular book. And she came on and she talked about how when she first turned her, turned her first either couple chap, couple chapters in, the, you know, the editor looked at her and said, basically, this is horrible. Yeah, you never want to hear that as a writer. No, I mean, it was basically just, I mean, it, she said she couldn't believe it. And, you know, she went back to the drawing board, went back, worked hard on it. And, you know, obviously it's become a huge bestseller. It's an amazing book. It's sold it's it sold over a hundred thousand copies. I remember seeing that last year. And this is a book where you know she took it to the editor and was told this. But I think oftentimes, you know, on social media or just in our brains, we don't realize that what we're seeing is the final product. We don't see the A to Z. We see we see the Z, but we forget all that goes in between. You know, the B to the rest of the alphabet, and so we don't realize that. No, Jessica probably spent another year or two. You know, we're, I don't know how long it was working on that book and making it the amazing book that it was. And it's easy to get seduced by social media thinking, you know what, that, that perfect classroom that you see, oh my gosh, I can do that. Well, yeah, that may have taken somebody 20 hours over the weekend. Or that classroom that you walk in and all the kids are perfectly attentive and focused. Well, that took that teacher 10 years of skill and four months of practice and practice and practice. So it's, it's, it's very easy to be seduced by what we see until you know the full story. The other thing, though, you 
is the times we're in now are just compounding all of these things we're talking about with the COVID pandemic still hanging out here too long in my book. Um, I think, you know, we're all so fatigued from it. It's been so hard on everyone, um, especially teachers. What what have you seen in the interviews you have done in the meantime and in your own experience that that are particular kind of lessons for this time? I think one of the biggest things I've noticed, and this is actually from an interview we haven't that hasn't even we haven't published yet, that that everyone's struggling. Everyone's going through this. And I think it's easy, especially in teaching, because teaching is in a lot of ways a profession where you go to school. You know, you get out of your car, you walk in the building, you go in your classroom, you close the door, and you're there all day, for the most part. You come out. And you really have no idea if the person next to you or down the hallway is struggling the way you are. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is that everyone is struggling, for the most part, in some way. I mean, they're different depending on where you are and, your, and the demographics and your building and your environment. But that everyone is struggling in some way. And I mean, that's huge. And I think another big thing is that, and I said, I said this in my recent podcast, you know, I, I, we just did an episode on uh, learning loss, learning recovery. I guess we called it learning recovery. And it was a really good episode. I felt really good about the episode. It's been published. But then it hit me, you know, in so many places, it's, we're not even down to, we're not even able to get to the point where we're really diving deep into the learning because we're still time to reestablish behaviors and reestablish the social emotional needs and get kids able to just sit still. We're not back to academics yet. We're talking about, yeah, back to just kind of establishing that, that framework. It's hard. And that's a mindset that's it's so foreign to teachers because you're used to going in and, and teaching content and you have these amazing lessons planned and then you're ready to go. Boom. But no, these kids, just like we do, have needs. I mean, they for 18 months or longer, they've been off. And I'll be honest, I felt it, and I'm sure teachers felt it. After being home for a while or on Zoom, and then all of a sudden you're in front of students and a lot of kids, you're, you're more exhausted. And it's, I think it's changing. It's not lowering your expectations. It's just understanding, okay, we've got to pivot here. We've got to take a step back. Okay, what do we need to do to set the table here to get it so where you know, kids are conducive to learning, to what we're providing them? And just you know, t- meeting them where they are doesn't mean we're not going to try to, you know, catch them up, but even, even catching them up is a tough race. Really just doing the best we can with where they are and understanding that things aren't the way they were. And, you know, it's, it makes me think of uh, James Stockdale. And he talks about confronting the brutal facts in uh, Good to Great. Jim Collins talks about James Stockdale in Good to Great. And, you know, sometimes we don't want to confront the brutal facts. You know, things... Things might get worse here for a little bit. We don't know. In some places, they might get a little bit worse. But, you know, they, they are going to get better, and we can't give up hope. And I think that's, that's a hard thing to see, especially, you know, with the, the days becoming shorter. Kids are getting sick. They're being quarantined. I mean, in all honesty, teachers are resigning. It's happening. I mean, it's a real fact. It's, I don't like to admit it, but it's true. It's happening all over the country. So it's, I think confronting the brutal facts, this is hard. And it might get worse before it gets better, but there is going to be some light at the end of the tunnel. If if you have a minute, I did want to. There's one phrase that 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 back a while I meant to mention, which is toxic positivity, which we've written about here at Ed Surge, and it seems to always resonate with readers. This idea that 
that not just that people kind of don't want to that maybe don't want to share the bad stuff, but there's almost a um, oppressive upbeatness in some school environments where it, it just feels like people are are really not allowed or given space to to share anything but good stuff. Do how much do you see that as something you're trying to you know kind of counter in your in your podcast here? I see we did do an episode on that and I know it's prevalent because you see it a lot on social media and it, it it's a tough topic because I think people mean well people are trying to uplift others and so I don't think there's any bad intention with it because sometimes this is like this is all of our first time through this we don't know what's going on we don't know how to fix this and so you try to be upbeat you know you try to offer candy bars you try to keep that positive face on especially as I'm an administrator especially as an administrator and, you know, someone asks you how you're doing. Everything's great. Everything's fine. When really, you know, there's days where you know, I'm, I'm wearing a mask. Things aren't fine. You know, things things suck. You know, things aren't that good. I'm, I'm upset or maybe I'm depressed that day or stressed that day. And it's dangerous because then someone else hears, oh, I'm fine. And then they might think, okay, either one of two things. Either, well, he's lying or two, well, maybe I should be fine, but I'm not. So what's wrong with me? And so it's tough. But I... It, it's a tough situation because I don't think there's any ill intention with it. I just think it's also important to share the struggles as well. You know, because I mean, there's a lot of struggles out there and, and people are not alone. And I think we, we touched on that on a recent episode, the, the one I just recorded a couple nights ago, where, you know, it, I wanted people to know they're not alone with their struggles. But it can be dangerous because you hear it. And, and, and you know the cliche, people hear that and they go like, oh my gosh, I just want to vomit here and that. I'm tired of some, that that's so fake or something like that. But I don't think that's bad intentions, but I think people want real. People want to know what's really going on. How are you really feeling? And even if it's the truth and even if it hurts and even if it doesn't sound good or taste good coming out, sometimes you just have to say, you know what, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. How about you? And then that's where the vulnerability comes in. I mean, I've, I've done that more recently than I ever have. Someone say, how are you doing today? I'll be like, you know, I'm, just, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And it's not uplifting. That's not going to inspire someone, but it's going to at least let someone know, okay, maybe it's just, not just me. And yeah, this is tough, but we, you know, we, we can make this together. I hear that. Well, hey, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to share some, some highlights and, and to share your work. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. This has been the EdSurge Podcast. Every week, we bring you interviews and stories about big issues facing education in this time of change. If you like the show, please take a moment to rate a review or tell a friend about the EdSurge Podcast on social media. The best way to keep up with what we're doing is to sign up for the weekly EdSurge Podcast newsletter. It's free, and it includes links to related resources every Tuesday when we drop a new episode. To sign up, go to edsurge.com and click on Newsletter at the top right corner. Then select the EdSurge Podcast Newsletter and sign up for any of our other EdSurge newsletters as well. This week's episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. You can find me on Twitter at JRYoung. Music this episode by Montplessier. If you have feedback or ideas for future episodes, you can hit me at jeff at edsurge.com. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.